The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions, got the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who wouldn't want to made with Samaritan, my co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we continue our coverage of the spring 2016 TV season with our review of the series penultimate episode of Person of Interest and the season finale of Orphan Black. Yeah, and before we get into all of that, we've got an exciting news with Nico section about the return of a character, the Doctor Who spinoff class, Gotham recasting, John Williams back for more, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Walrats becoming a TV series, Ken Kit Harrington being in the new Call of Duty game. So Nico's going to give you all the details on that right now. Doctor Who Season 10, Matt Lucas set for encore as Nardal. Matt Lucas will reprise his role as Nardal in Doctor Who's Season 10 premiere, which begins filming June 20th in Cardiff. Lucas, who first portrayed the Menderax Dolora native in last year's Christmas episode, The Husbands of River Song, said in a statement, quote, I loved acting with Peter Capaldi, and I'm excited to work with Pearl Mackey. As previously reported, Pearl Mackey is boarding the BBC America series in Season 10 as the Doctor's new companion. Doctor Who executive producer and lead writer Stephen Moffat said of Lucas's encore, delighted and slightly amazed to be welcoming Matt Lucas back to the TARDIS. And this time, it's not just for Christmas, he's sticking around. One of the greatest comedy talents on planet Earth is being unleashed on all of time and space. This should be good. Gotham recasting Poison Ivy for Season 3. Gotham is giving one of the emerging villains an extreme makeover and a promotion. TV Line has learned exclusively that when the Fox drama returns this fall for Season 3, Little Ivy Pepper will have transformed into Big Bad Poison Ivy. As a result, Claire Foley, who has intermittently appeared as the plant-obsessed orphan during the series' first two seasons, will not be returning. Casting is underway for an actress in her late teens to assume the now series' regular role of the would-be eco-terrorist. As TV Line previously reported, Gotham's upcoming third season will also mark the arrival of DC Comics staples Vicky Vale and the Mad Hatter. The season two finale also teased the entrance of Bruce Wayne's long-haired doppelganger, a development executive producer John Stevens told TV Line is in line with all the other stories we've been telling in season two, but one piece we've kept hidden. Adding that with the release of Strange's bus full of monsters, the nature of the city of Gotham will change. Join us again this fall on the DC Nation podcast as we discuss season three of Gotham. Doctor Who spinoff class will have LGBT lead character. Since its return in 2005, the Doctor Who universe has been one where people of different races, creeds, genders, and sexual orientations can feel welcome and has depicted people from different walks of life as heroic figures to look up to. This will extend to the upcoming young adult-aimed spinoff series class. While we know next to nothing about the characters aside from who will play them, we got a hint on Monday when the show's writer and creator Patrick Ness tweeted that one of the lead characters will be LGBT. In the wake of the tragic events in Orlando, Florida, over the weekend. Ness, who is himself openly gay, attended a vigil in Cardiff, Wales for the victims of the attack. Afterwards, he tweeted that one of the class leads would be LGBT in a loving, open relationship and that it was going to be a secret, but the secret no longer seemed important. Ness also promised a lot of action and adventure having to do with aliens and whatnot in the new series premiering this fall. The series is set at the Coal Hill School, the very same school that Clara Oswald, played by Jenna Coleman, taught at and is pitched as being about students dealing with friends, love, sex, parents, school, and the occasional alien 
monster hellbent on destroying Earth. These are issues real people have to contend with every day, minus the alien stuff, hopefully. So putting LGBT characters in the show is not some kind of stunt. It's reflective of real life. Class will star Catherine Kelly as the mysterious teacher Miss Quill, and the main foursome of young alien fighters will be played by Greg Austin, Fadi El-Sayed, Sophie Hopkins, and Vivian Opara, and it will be featured on BBC America this fall. John Williams is aboard for Star Wars Episode 8 and Indiana Jones 5. Later this year, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, will be the first live-action Star Wars film without a score from the maestro himself, John Williams. But the man behind some of the most iconic music in cinema history isn't done with Star Wars yet. Earlier this week, at the American Film Institute's tribute to his 64-year career as a composer, Variety asked Williams if he would be back for Star Wars Episode 8, quoted as saying, If I can do it, I certainly will. I told Lucasfilm president Kathy Kennedy, I'm happy to do it, but the real reason is I didn't want anybody else writing music for Daisy Ridley. Williams is coming off his latest film, The BFG, which continues his long collaboration with director Steven Spielberg. With Spielberg and Harrison Ford already lined up for Indiana Jones 5, Williams was quick to confirm he'll return to that franchise as well. That particular piece of news was broken by Access Hollywood's Scott Mance. Within the film industry, Williams is a living legend not only for his Star Wars and Indiana Jones scores, but also his illustrious track record that includes E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, Jaws, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This news makes me extremely happy. Kevin Smith's Mallrats 2 to become TV series. It's been 21 years since the debut of Kevin Smith's second feature-length film, Mallrats, and while Smith himself previously downplayed the talk of a sequel to that film, he's been pushing for Mallrats 2 since last year as a tribute to his friend and film producer, James Jacks. Now, according to Smith, Mallrats 2 will not be a feature film at all, but a TV show. Smith made a guest appearance on 93.3 WMMR's Preston and Steve's talk show, where he indicated that Mallrats 2 is now being geared towards television with the support of Universal Pictures. Quote, a couple of months ago, we started re configuring the idea of doing Mallrats not as a film but as a series. And Universal and I are just about to close our deal to do Mallrats the series. Then we take it out into the world and find a home for it. So instead of doing a Mallrats movie, I'm going to do 10 episodes of a Mallrats series. Smith credited his recent stint as a director for The Flash for reigniting his passion for directing television. He also revealed that his plans for a cinematic sequel were derailed when he finally realized that Universal wouldn't simply release the title to the first Mallrats and allow him to make a sequel on his own. Whether Mallrats the series actually happens remains to be seen, but there is some precedent for bringing the sequel to television. Ash vs. Evil Dead and Wet Hot American Summer First Day of Camp are both sequels to their respective film series, but before the Mallrats series can go forward, it would have to find a network or streaming service willing to back it. In my opinion, Netflix would be the best home for this and would allow Kevin the freedom to make the off-color sequel we want him to make without a damn network censor getting in the way. Kit Harrington will play the villain in the new Call of Duty game. Through nearly six full seasons of HBO's Game of Thrones, Kit Harrington has proved himself to be incredibly adept at playing a hero. It doesn't hurt that Jon Snow is the Joseph Campbellian archetype of a noble heroic sort, but now it looks like Harrington is going to see how the other half lives. It was announced on Friday via a press release that Mr. You Know Nothing will play the villain in the upcoming Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Earlier in the week, Entertainment Weekly shared a quick video of Harrington getting facially scanned for something, teasing that news delivered on Friday. Taylor Kirk Saki, the narrative director of Infinity Ward, praised Harrington's professionalism and talent. Our story is about an epic showdown of opposing forces, and Kit immersed himself in the role and truly became the embodiment of the enemy, the settlement defense front. We can't wait for fans to see Kit play an entirely different kind of character. I don't know about you, but I can't wait either, and might be reason enough for me to start playing Call of Duty again. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, so with all that excitement to look forward to with Doctor Who, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and more, we're going to dive right into God penultimate to the finale episode from one of our favorites that always has us discussing Kate Gossing and again they still did the same this week with giving us a bunch of surprises especially with the death of a major villain so let's talk about the president of interest episode not the EXE (laughs) 
Reese and Shaw chase Finch, who could bring an end to Samaritan himself and the machine when he infiltrates a maximum security government facility. You know, I normally don't like the It's a Wonderful Life style TV show episodes because it's an overused plot device to show how a main character's life could be different if it was missing a particular variable, such as the machine in this case. But the writers on this show did a good job of keeping it interesting by replacing the usual flashbacks with a look at an alternate possibility that ultimately did a brilliant job of explaining very clearly why Finch made the decision to sacrifices machine in order to save the world. Nico, do you think showing an alternate fate for the characters worked for this episode? Because it wasn't the main focus? Yeah, they did that because they wanted to keep the story moving? Yeah, Dan, I'm, I'm right there with you. I normally don't like the It's Wonderful Life showing what would happen if someone hadn't been born or something happened, hadn't happened. I don't like those because every TV show seems to use it at some point and it just, it's become tiresome. But I actually really liked this technique this week with Finch and the Machine because I felt like it was a great visual way of showing the internal conflict that Finch has been going through in the, in this episode and really the last few episodes with the idea of whether or not it was worth sacrificing the machine and possibly himself to destroy and stop Samaritan. The machine showing us but telling Finch the results of its simulations of what the world would have been like without him creating the machine was a brilliant way to get across the good that the machine has done. The fact that Samaritan would probably still have happened regardless of whether Finch created the machine or not. But having created the machine, it gave the world a chance to combat the complete loss of autonomy of humanity that is Samaritan. Also, how sad was it to see Root, Reese, and Fusco's lives if the machine had never existed? Reese's was the worst. Yeah. I mean, it was just, his life was a tragedy. Yeah, he never had that opportunity to redeem himself and, and redeem his actions that he where he betrayed his own code by going into the CIA. Yeah, and the other thing with that was, as horrible guys losing the woman he loved was for him, he ended up with a better fate in the furry. Anyway. Yes. And that was interesting for, for his character in the course of the story to say, look, you could have been become something much, much worse if you were there. Fate sort of saved you. Sure. And I think that was a good thing for Finch too, good forgiving himself for not being there to help Reese or direct him towards them. Right. Because if you remember that episode, didn't Finch know she was a person of interest? And he couldn't save her and he couldn't get there? I think, yeah, that was during the time where he was trying to do it on his own and he was just right. over overwhelmed and he, he that's why he started looking for someone like Reese. Right. And he actually had a couple people before Reese. They all, they all ended up dying. They weren't right. nearly as, as good as Reese and they were and they were always trying to corrupt and use the machine's knowledge for their own good even if they didn't know what the machine was. Yeah there was that one episode with the one guy yep. that ended up being yeah he was bad news. And it seemed to me when in that episode that he wasn't even the first or that if he was the no. first it was just an example of a couple of the people that Finch had gone through trying to get to Reese. Okay he was the one that was closest yeah. to what he was looking for. Okay. Now in present day comes as more surprised that there wasn't a disagreement or more of a disagreement between between Fitch and Reese over his actions of setting off the virus and going to kill Greer. With really, aside from those alternate reality scenes, really Shaw and John were just sort of reduced to muscle and sort of comic relief for this episode just to keep the action and momentum going. Do you think the writers stayed away from the team, disagreed with each other because it would have slowed down the pace going into the series finale and it would have just put way too much in the episode? I think more, Dan, it's, it's what I told you last week, that if Finch said this was the only way, Reese would follow him to the ends of the earth to make it happen. 
happen, and if Finch told Reese to escape, to fight on, and let him release the virus, Reese would follow those orders. Reese believes in the mission, but more importantly, he believes in Finch as their leader. That is why Reese answered the phone for a new number, even though Finch was missing, and he wanted to go after Finch and the machine. Luckily, the machine was giving them a location and number that would put them on a collision course with Finch and be his backup, but he was willing to continue the mission, even though at that moment, his buddy, his leader, his only friend in the world was missing and potentially on a suicide mission. He still believed in the mission so much he picked up that phone to hear the new number. Right, exactly. And do we, we know that Reese is totally for that? Yep. Okay, and the other thing is, normally in penultimate episodes, the writers try to throw in like everything but the kitchen sink to those episodes. A good example would be the Smallville penultimate episode, where it was just like so much. You were just bogged down. And it seemed like they were rushing to the finish line. And this episode, I felt, was perfectly paced Get going into the finale. Yeah, for sure. But I don't think they, they saw the short end. Because you felt overwhelmed, did you? No, I thought it was very well done. I thought it was very well paced. And I thought we got everything we were really expecting or hoping for in the lead up to what I think is going to be probably one of the best season finales and series finales next week. Yeah, I agree. I think as good as the series has been, I think they know how to make the ending good as well. Now, I was sort of to kind of debate about the premise of Fusco's story this episode. Was it to highlight the character's progression going to becoming a better man throughout the course of the series? Or was it Jonathan Nolan making a commentary on the current real world issues of police brutality with Fusco describing the Samaritan operative with eternal affairs because almost a new breed of crooked cop even worse than HR emerging from the paranoia that made the creation of Samaritan necessary. Pico was the speech Fusco gave the eternal affairs officer before killing him designed to just be another point emphasizing why Fitch needed to clear the state with the artificial intelligence systems. No Dan I think it was the former a way of showing how far Fusco has come since that crooked cop in season one that Reese blackmailed into doing the right thing and working with the person of interest team. He's a full member now and I don't actually believe that Fusco killed the agent at the end. Okay. Also, he was an unnamed federal agent. He wasn't actually internal affairs for New York police but still, he would been a, would have been able to investigate cops and corruption because he was a federal agent. Right. I'm not sure what Fusco did at the end but killing him in cold blood even to keep himself and his family safe does not seem like the kind of move that the new Fusco would do. But did you tell him that Samaritan wouldn't stop coming after him though? Yes, but I still think he would turn him over and fine if it means okay. another guy's coming after me I'll, I'll take care of him too and that's what he was kind of saying was like look i had a vest on for this i'm ready for you jerks to come after me yeah a little bit that's exactly what i think he's saying yeah okay god yeah, it was interesting just the okay, i felt like it was a good throwback and nod to the episode where he got his claim to fame on the show where he defeats him it's the head of hr yep it felt like it had that oomph that that's he'd had god the interesting thing is gonna want to go a little bit more into it was hr at least kind of honor they kind of looked out for themselves okay we saw episodes where cops would be taken down by Elias or other villains or forces on the show because they would get upset about it. Right. Because this guy, I don't think he gave a crap. Yeah, he sort of had that fanaticism that Greer has that we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, there there was no God or among thieves with this guy. Right. Because really, HR only killed when they had to. They didn't want to kill other cops, but then, you know, I think at the end, Simmons just kind of lost his way when he lost everything. Yeah. Because the death of Carter was more desperation than anything else. But before that, when the, the city council guy, or I forget what his position was was in charge they didn't want to kill cops because he had to kill his godson because like he kept trying to get around it but then he wouldn't stop investigating ultimately had to kill him right exactly and then he had an issue with that 
No, I have to give the guy credit for going down as a really frightening villain. But I was surprised that Greer sacrificed himself for Samaritan instead of getting killed by a major character on the show. Of course, Samaritan turning on him because he'd served his purpose. Dika, were you satisfied that Greer was defeated in this fashion to get his comeuppance? Of course, he had been killed by the good guys. No, Dan. Greer was a fanatic, and he died a fanatic's death, sacrificing himself to take out his enemy, or at least thinking he sacrificed himself yeah. to kill his enemy. Greer believed in the mission and Samaritan so much that he was willing to give his life to see it succeed and continue on. Killing Finch was a way to ensure that, so he believed that by dying with Finch, it ensured Samaritan's survival. Those are the actions of a zealot, a fanatic, or a radical, all apt descriptors of Greer, and the reason why I think this sort of sacrificial suicidal death was most appropriate for his demise. Good John Dolan was so freaky in that sequence. Oh, yeah. Especially when he was dying. It just was like, whew, it was freaky. He's come a long way. Said, you know, your father would have never done this because the Batman Begins movies. Right. You know, he's just a background character in here. He was a great villain. And uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense for him to go down this way. Was it going to imagine? But the way the story went and how it played out, I think it was perfect. And again, he was Fitch's enemy. And I think that this makes the most sense for Fitch's character. Get a final altercation with him. He would go down this way. Right. And again, it's still possible that Samaritan thought he was expendable because notice his machine saved him Samaritan let him let Greer die for it right so there's a big difference there okay going into that more with it being revealed Samaritan was looking for the machine to be its mate almost in like, like an Adam and Eve capacity Greg has it's a reversal since Samaritan's kind of the one tempted by evil and Eve essentially the machine is not and Fitch arguing that Samaritan was a system created by a good man that was corrupted by its user because in Greer caused me to believe that with Greer out of the way Fitch was going to abandon his plan to unleash the virus because he was going to believe that he and the machine Machine, could teach or work with Samaritan kind of how to become better like they succeeded in doing with Fusco, Root, Shaw, Reese, and a number of persons of interest. Nico, is this outcome still a possibility to end the series on because an unforeseen threat in the world is going to emerge from the execution of the virus, which will require the restoring of both Samaritan and the machine so they can work together to correct Fitch's mistakes? I think maybe if there was a season left of the show, Dan, we, w- we could see something that complex or intense as almost a new big bad or new crisis emerges from the destruction of Samaritan. But I believe that as the virus ravages Samaritan and all of its backups, I think Samaritan will lash out one last time to attempt to save itself. And if not, then destroy the machine if the virus doesn't do it for Samaritan. I think we will see the machine give the person of interest team one last number, something that equates to itself. And the final mission of the person of interest team will be to stop Samaritan from killing the machine before Samaritan is killed by the virus. Okay. That's my guess. I mean, that's where I think we're going to see the finale go. And then we'll get that moment at the end where where they've been successful and the machine blinks into existence or it's keep going and then it goes off into the sunset letting us think that the machine is out there protecting us while you know the series is over right do you think Fitch is ultimately going to come to the conclusion that like what Greer was saying that could artificial intelligence doing this is inevitable got that it might as well he might as well let the machine be that I think Finch has come to the conclusion that the, the machine is is better than he had ever hoped and is as safe as anyone could have made any artificial intelligence and that he's going to have to let it let it do its thing and trust that it will never become Samaritan. Right. Because, I mean, it's better to go with the system you know than somebody else's theory or idea. Right. Like, at this point, Fitch knows, okay, my creation, from everything we've been through, it's, it, it's good. It's the best we can get. Because if somebody else tries, we might not be so lucky. Exactly. And that's kind of where it's coming from. And I think the next episode's going to be a lot about that. And I really hope that it's Greece and the other characters of the team that bring him to that conclusion. That without him, or without the team, the machine would have never been as good as it is. 
and really, I mean, it's just enough to fill up a finale episode. I mean, because there's going to be enough action, because there might be a race with the person of interest team to continue their work safely before Samaritan's operatives like pull the whistle on them or cause the machine to get shut down. I do think there's going to be enough action and not just action, but suspense as well that will fill up this episode and it'll be enough to, to make us really happy for this finale. Yeah, I really hope we go back to the city, can Fusco gets involved, can maybe we see some other person of interest come in, you know, I want it to be a big epic kind of showdown culmination of just how great and action packed the show has been. Oh, I agree. I mean, this is this is one of probably the best action shows on television. Yeah, it's been one of my favorite network television shows in the last decade. Because, I mean, we have something like Blind Spot, which is a cheap innovator, where the bullets get of the action is like, really, is that possible? Where this is so realistic. Yeah, you know, Blind Spot really started off well. And yeah. really, I was I was really excited for it because I felt like it was maybe the next step or the next move or it was going to imitate some of the innovation that this series really went with. And then it seemed like they got halfway through the first season and they ran out of ideas or ran out of things to yeah. do and it, it became all about classic TV tropes of the genre and it was no longer innovative it was no longer a new person of interest like show it became just like every other everything else yeah can we get a USA show where it's like the beginning and end progresses the episode kind the story because the middle is just blah yeah you want to see a, a good show that's on USA though go and watch Mr. Robot that's because Mr. Robot gets so different than the typical USA show oh yeah I mean Mr. Robot I'm, I'm surprised it's not a net Netflix series or yeah. a AMC series, to be honest. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it gets dark. Again, again, I would I would think that Mr. Robot's the next evolution following this show, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and the way that it realistically portrays hacking or yeah. internet and network security is so good. I mean, the experts that they have on that show actually sit in with the writers and are like, no, stop. That is not possible. That is stupid. That is writer bullshit. Don't do that. And that's what TV needs these days is yeah. very strong advice advisors who are not afraid of losing their Hollywood job to sit in there and tell the writers, no, that's stupid. That's not possible. Or that's not the way it works. Don't right. be, don't be dumb. You're ruining your show. Yeah. Of I think they show a person of interest did that as well. Yeah. They, they, well, that was because they had a strong hand at the helm. You know, the yeah. Nolan's Jonathan Nolan knew what he wanted to tell. He and his, his buddy who, who created the show and I'm blanking on the name on the other executive producer. And I apologize for that because JJ Abrams is involved too. Right. But JJ was a little bit less hand on on yeah. this show he was he was there to start and and to help get it off the ground but there was one other guy who was there day to day and really in addition to jonathan nolan ran this series well there's a couple guys that they wrote this episode the two guys mm-hmm. kept been around for a while yeah but i mean like steering steering from the front yeah. and, and really leading and having a strong sense of where they were wanted to go they that's what you need that's what you really absolutely right. need and you need them to stick with the series for the entire run and to do that you need to have a very definitive run five seasons right. you wrote your book you got through the entire bible and you called it a series at the end you didn't try and squeeze out other stories and other right. things to make a different show with the same characters no you stuck to what your plan was and that's why it's so good and that's why i'm so excited for next week's series finale because it's the right time the right number of episodes and the right people running the show can it also get hbo knocking on your door to do westworld <laughs> yes exactly can i think the majority of people who worked on the show are doing westworld so i'm excited to see what they do with new content yeah I don't know how many of the writers and, and things are actually making the move, but I agree. I think a good portion of them are. And there's no reason that anyone who was on the writing staff or, or working on this series should not be finding a job immediately if they're not moving with the Nolans to the Westwood project, because this was so well done and so good. There were probably, I think, one episode the entire series that I was like, ah, I didn't really care for that. And and probably part of that was the Harper 
character, you know? Yeah, oh yeah, that, that I don't know what you're talking about. Cause, but that took the season four to get an episode that was, eh, it was like, so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. God, I, I think, I'm very excited for Westworld, what they're going to do with that. Cause I, and I'm hoping that it gives them some Emmy recognition because I feel like this show got overlooked and I think it was because it was an action show. Yes, and I was a fan of Michael Emerson from Lost. That was the first place I really ever knew about him and I am really looking forward to seeing what his next move is. Jim Caviezel's been a star and I've, I've known about him for quite a long time and I, I'm sure he's going to find something new that's going to be a lot of fun as well but I'm really looking forward to and anticipating what Michael Emerson's going to do next. Well, and then you got a lot of the writers on the show could have their own shows as well. Yes. The ones that have been around a long time and have done a brilliant job so I'm looking forward to it and KB uh, Acker's free too so who knows what we could hear be doing as well. Yeah, I hope she does something. I mean, my, my ultimate, I would lose my mind if she and Nathan joined forces and did a series together. That would be, yeah. that would be the ultimate. I would, I would be absolutely a hundred percent on board. Whatever the content, whatever the idea was, that would be where I'd want to see it. Uh, you know, the other, the other person going by Amy Acker and Felicia Day doing something. Yeah. I think Felicia's a lot more behind the scenes these days and right. doing a lot more producing and things of that nature. She, she loves running her network on YouTube and the Geek and Sundry network is, is just exploding with content. I don't know that she wants to be or needs to be in front of the camera on a network s- series or on a, a Netflix series or something like that. I would absolutely love it. But I don't know if that's where she wants her career to go right now. I think she's very happy with the ability to provide her own content and do a lot of that stuff. And it's been very successful for her. And she just wrote a book. And if you guys right. are interested, it's 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 very good what I've read. I've only read about four chapters so far, but it's very interesting. And you should you should go and read her book because if you love her, you'll love the book. Okay, I've got it. Okay. okay. Gaby Acker and Nathan in a Felicia Day production. That would be amazing. There you go. That's it. That works with their career. Yes. Yeah. You know, Nathan loves Felicia. Yes, we know. So it would be just a, a great idea. It would be fun. So we'll see with that. And, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe Marvel will be knocking on uh, Michael Emerson's door if he's wanting to do something like that. See, that's where I think Nathan's going next is he's going to be a major superhero in yep. one of the series. He's, he's getting to the point where he's he's almost getting too old to be one of the superheroes but Affleck did it so why not right. do an older version of one of the characters so that Nathan can be it you know about 10 years ago he wanted to be the Green Lantern instead of Ryan Reynolds they went with Reynolds and you know it didn't work out but I don't think that was Ryan's fault I think that no. that was just didn't work you know it just didn't yeah. work and there were a lot of reasons and it was no one person's fault and unfortunately Nathan's done mostly voiceover work in that genre but I think he really would have love to be the leading man in one of those series and you know Cumberbatch is doing it they've got to be able to find something for Nathan that's going to well, right. in the one two, of the two series <laughs> the two roles they're talking about because Wonder Man right. that he would pop up in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 get maybe cross over to Avengers 3 that's one thing they're talking about because we know that James Gunn and Nathan are buddies so that's a possibility because the other talk is somehow getting Nathan to be Booster Gold which I think would be genius if he could do it and again I don't think Booster Gold necessarily has to be I think he could get away with being Nathan's age. Yeah, yeah. And, and Booster Gold has been one that's been bandied about a few times with Nathan's attached right. names attached to it. He's basically Castle as a superhero. <laughs> exactly. So it's going to work. It, really, it would really be fun. Cause I don't know if that would be a TV show capacity because I know Sci-Fi Channel wanted to do that. Right. I, I think that may depend on if Krypton succeeds. Or I would have a problem with a Booster Gold movie. I think it would be fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gory could save Legends come tomorrow bringing a Booster Gold to that. Because like, I think he and Arthur Darville could be kind of fun together. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Rip Hunter is cause a friend of uh, Kim, so that would be very interesting to see. I, I don't know if they think it's too big for them to let them drop 
types of people to get him that's a question i guess step in the air so that that all could be interesting things the other talk is that nathan may be the captain of the new star trek series i had heard that rumor as well good good if that would make me pay money to watch it <laughs> on cbs yeah i'm not a fan of cbs's new model i i don't think not it's going either. to succeed but i would probably pay the subscription to to see that could bringing it back around a person of interest thank god this show's ending before they decided to do that with this show well this show would have would have stayed on network and then you would have had to pay to see the the old seasons okay but they're available on netflix right now the old seasons right and i think that that's going to go away as soon as cbs gets its own service up yeah. and running so watch it quick if you haven't yeah exactly with that we're going to dive right into a bbc show that gets people are excited to talk again maybe one of Nico's favorite sci-fi series right behind this one okay mr robot because that's orphan black with the episode from dancing mice to psychopaths <laughs> Alliances are shattered between Sarah and Rachel as Cosima is cut off from communication and the Neolition moves in. Later, Sarah sets a trap for high-ranking Neolitionists in hope of bringing it down for good. This week's finale solved several of our dangling mysteries, deduced much of the science, and provided more than a handful of insane reveals and setups for next season. This finale really did a number on us as well. But what a way to set up the upcoming fifth and final season. Dad, did you have a sinking feeling when Cosima solved the cure in the cold open, knowing that this meant a betrayal must be coming? I just wasn't sure if it was going to be Rachel, Susan, or possibly someone else. Maybe even Ira showing his true caster colors once the cure was available. Did you see it coming from both Susan and Rachel? And damn it, I totally forgot about Ferdinand. Did you see that coming either? Yeah, where did Ferdinand come from? You know, we watch him in a number of other shows, and I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I went, whoa, wait, where is he coming from? And then I remembered Ferdinand. I did expect Rachel to do something. I really didn't think Susan would do anything, but and that kind of surprised me. But Rachel's just too evil. What she did was cold, going after Susan and then Cosima. And I kind of like tied up Ira for a laugh. Yeah. You know, I figured it was going to be somebody was going to betray her, but I, I was a little surprised with Susan as well. But I guess it was her ticket back on top, even though she didn't see the betrayal to her from Rachel. Of course, we thought Rachel was going to screw us last week and then it ended up coming in this week instead after she had taken down Evie Cho. Now, while the science offers a cure and life for the Sesterhood in Charlotte, for everyone else, it was a means of power and a way to wrestle control. The need for scientific control quickly took hold of the rest of the story, and everyone wants a seat at the table. Evie Cho demanded to be kept as the head of Neolution, but was killed by her own science, which was pretty poetic. Susan decided it was time to restart human cloning. Cosima wanted to simply be cured and maybe possibly stop the whole resurgence of clones thing from happening. And Sarah wanted to protect Cosima, her sisters, Mrs. S, Kira, and the science that arguably allows them their freedom as well. It was a lot to pack into one episode for sure, and that doesn't even take into consideration that super neo-revolution at the end. And then there was Rachel and the board who decided the best course of action was to simply combine the two warring sciences, implant megabots inside human clones, and finally kickstart the next step of human evolutionary process. It's interesting that Rachel is so hungry to control the lab rats, which the science that legally owns her likely also considers her. But that's the conflicting beauty of Rachel. She wants for herself what she hopes to remove from herself. 
sister's personhood. To be considered a miracle of science isn't enough. She must also run the whole operation and restart the program that created her, even though she, in doing so, it makes her effectively not a person at all. Her ruthlessness is worse than Evie chose, and I'm pretty sure this will mean Rachel's death next season. Never forget her line from this week's episode. If we want to know if our lab rats' tails will grow back, we damn well will cut them off and see. So Dad, has Rachel lost her mind as Sarah believes, or does she and Ferdinand and now the board have a plan? Did you see this move by her? No, I was completely floored by it. And and this move, and I agree, it's just going to be a battle to the finish between the sisters, between Sarah and Rachel, and the best man or woman will be standing. And I can't wait till next season to see that happen. And what about the device that blows up the bots? What What is that? And could it they weaponize the bots? That's really scary. Yeah, I, I saw that too. It, it activates the self-destruct in those bots, and that's a scary idea, and I'm, I'm just really glad that we got them out of our clones. Yeah. <laughs> I love this show for the science, the mysteries, and the great storytelling, but this week's action was pretty intense as well. That scene on the island between Susan, Sarah, and Rachel was intense. Probably some of the most intense scenes we've seen this season. Dad, what did you think of the action this week? Was it, again, intense enough for a season finale? Yeah, it was really intense, and, and it really played up for the finale. This was some of the best action, technically, I've seen in this season, and probably the best since the uh, dance scene in the first season. I really liked it, and and you know, it, it brought everything to a, a an end that keeps you wanting to for more, and I just, I know I can't wait until next spring. Yeah, a lot of credit has to go to Tatiana and her body double, because the two of them working together as Rachel and Sarah in that scene was amazing. The way that they, Sarah stabbed her body double, and then you see it from the angle, other angle, as Sarah, uh, Tatiana, gets stabbed as Sarah, and right. it, was, it was just amazing the yeah. way that they did it, and they had to have shot that scene probably each take was, you know, probably a couple takes, and then they had to do everything from the other angle, and every time they had to go back and forth between Tatiana as Sarah and Tatiana as Rachel. So there was a lot of intense work on everyone's part. The makeup, hair and makeup, the stunt coordinators, everything, getting both of those actors the the right steps from both sides. So you, you gotta give Tatiana credit, as you always do, for her, her ability to act and be the face of all the clones, but there's also the hidden people behind it that set it all up, that, that choreograph it all, and that you know, that's what makes this show so great. Well, it was much easier to choreograph that dance scene because that's kind of slow motion, whereas you have a fight scene. It's it's at fast motion, high speed, and, and that's a lot more technically difficult, especially when you have one person playing two parts. Yeah, exactly. Now, switching gears, let's jump into that huge Neolution reveal. First, Rachel was getting messages from someone through her eye, and they were coming from the other part of the island where Cosima and Charlotte ended up. But more importantly, Rachel was seeing a guy known as, known as the Messenger, who works with none other than the creator of Neolution himself, P.T. Westmoreland. Yeah, that's right. The dude who wrote the literal book on Neolution over a hundred years ago is somehow still alive. And apparently he's a pretty intimidating fi- figure if Delphine's so scared of him that she tells Cosima not to talk about Cure. So that's where season five will take us, deep into the two warring factions of Neolution and not the military or government like we suggested, Dad. What modification has P.T. Westmoreland done to himself to live for more than a hundred years? And were you surprised by this revelation? And are you a little sad that we're not going to get the military and government big bad like we had suggested? Still not sure that they're not coming back, but <laughs> okay. I, it's, you know, it's hard. I'm having a hard time wrapping my hands around this 130-year-old guy or more being able to, to, to keep himself together and have the science. You know, a guy from the eight, 1900s or so, you know, n- not being early 1900s, late 1890s, having that science and being able to, to do this. You know, it's just hard to, with all that tech and science and that he can get his body to, to live that long. And I'm just not buying that. But what, what he, he is telling Rachel and, and such, and how does this guy from the 1900s, you know, engineer and build all this stuff in a in basically a prehistoric 
historic village. So, you know, it's really, it's hard, you know, I guess I got to suspend my disbelief to be able to understand this. But, you know, we'll see next season. You know, it might be entirely a different message. Yeah, you know, I think it's more that he is the head of Neolution and everyone who's high up in Neolution knows about him and they're feeding his interests. So he's not necessarily programming whatever the the technology is or or going like that. He's got the best people in the world doing that for him. But he comes up with the big ideas, I think. Sure. And I think the maggot bots have something to do with how they're keeping him alive, whether it's through germline, not germline, uh, through tetramere editing, which is the ends of your DNA. And as you age, those tetrameres, they they start to die off and, and, and get whittled down. And that's part of the aging process. If he's found a way to use the maggot bot to, to change that or to eliminate tel- telomeres, uh, or tetramere, telomeres, sorry, not tetrameres, telomeres from degenerating, you could t- potentially have a renewal and like, much like Cosima created a totipotent stem cell from the, the blastocyst from last week, right. I, I think maybe he could find a way to extend the human life beyond well, 100 years. Sure. And that's one one possibility. Yeah. How all this plays into where the s- sisters will land at the end of next season is truly a mystery. Will Caster come into play? I'm still not letting go of that whole Crystal had a Caster notebook thing. What happened to Mark and Gracie and her Helena babies? And while we're at it, what about the transsexual Tony? We haven't seen him since the very first introduction. Will Sarah survive the island? She wasn't looking so good at the end. What about Cosima? How does any of this play into Donnie's trial? Will Susan Duncan end up on top of Neolution again? Or will she die on the island as well? Does P.T. Westmoreland really want human cloning again? And will Adele come back? She has to be back. She, there was no point to it bringing in Felix's sister if it was just for this one right. part this season. What about Cal? Are we going to see Daddario not be a major part of season seven for Game of Thrones so he can come back for season five of, right. of this show? And who the heck is this messenger guy, really? Season five is going to be intense if they are going to answer all of those questions, wrap up the whole warring factions of Neolution po- plotline they set up in the finale. I mean, can they get all of this done in 10 episodes next season, Dad? Well, we went through a lot in the last two episodes. We, I mean, we got rid of Evie Cho, we, we found a cure, and we did all this other stuff in two episodes. So I guess maybe we can get it done in, in 10. There's a lot of good questions here, and I guess we're just going to have to wait till next spring to get these answered. And really, this finale did exactly what they should have done. It's one of those things. It's got a, it's a cliffhanger on a cliffhanger on a cliffhanger. And they have us waiting. Got to have us waiting for next year. You know, I'm just, I, I can't wait. Yeah, this show does a great job of when it answers one question, it asks 10 more. I just hope that next season they start answering more than they're opening up new ones, right. for sure. All season long, we've ended our Clone Club discussions with Team Hendrix. But this week, Helena and Donnie in the woods talking about Allison having venison shits was all we got. <laughs> so instead, I think we will end this week with the character that helped us learn about all the factions perhaps the highlight of the episode. Yes, of course, I'm talking about Crystal, everyone's favorite sleuth, who saw Van Leer take Delphine away, clued Sarah and Felix and Art into what was going on since they were just so out of the loop. It was like adorable. Only Crystal the Sage, Crystal the Wise, Crystal the Deeply Embedded has uncovered that the heart of all of this revolves around human experiments being controlled by two factions of the same industry. For her, it's Estee Lauder and a Swedish company named Neolution. And honestly, if Estee Lauder also (laughs) comes into play, I think I'll lose my mind. We also find finally got another clone swap after an entire season without them. In a perfect moment, Sarah as Crystal bum-rushed Van Leer with a litany of hilarious on-point questions and comments in order to get the word out to the other journalists about Neolution and their cause. Are you a Neolutionist? I'm TMZ. Do I look stupid? No photos. Dad, was Crystal's humor enough to take the place of the disappointingly lack of Team Hendrix in this week's finale? And do you think Team Hendrix was left out of the episode because once again, there was too much other great stuff going on? And what was the best Crystal moment of the week? Well, first off, I think... 
I'm starting to think Crystal is not as stupid as she's playing. <laughs> and maybe she might be somehow a, the brains of the organization. It's hard to believe, but maybe that's the case. You know, I think she's going to be the one that has that's going to see something that Felix is going to be able to notice or interpret and discover. And that might be the, the key to bringing the whole Neolition plot down next year. You know, it's kind of interesting. I did miss, you know, Donnie and Team Hendrix, but, you know, you, you, there was so much going on. It just wasn't time for another, unless they expanded to, you know, 90 minutes. But, you know, I, I still think we'll ha- just have to wait for next year to see t- what happens with Donnie's trial. Yeah, we're going to get some great stuff with the trial and all that, unless they, they just make it all disappear since Duco's gone and he's missing. That could throw yeah. a huge wrench in the prosecution's Prosecution. case, but we'll see about that. Well, that's about all the time we have for Clone Club this week. Thanks again, Dad, for joining me all season, and we'll talk to you next season when we pick up with the fifth and final season yep. of Clone Club. Yep, can't wait. All right, so now that we grabbed up for Orphan Black, got their exciting finale that Kiko's dad was able to join us for a day. Thank him for helping us covering that all season. We're going to dive right into our closing. Good, Nico, you want to tell everybody what's going on next week? We have one lone show to review. Yeah, on our next episode, Dan and I will conclude our reviews of the spring 2016 TV season with the series finale episode of Person of Interest. DC Nation has wrapped for the season, but make sure to rejoin us in the fall for Gotham, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and DC Legends of Tomorrow, and possibly newcomer Krypton on the Sci-Fi Channel. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for Dan, Nikki, and my review of the penultimate ninth episode of Season 6 of Game of Thrones on our Thronescast podcast. Finally, be sure to keep an eye out for Dan, Nikki, and Joshua doing the Marvelverse podcast and their coverage of the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universes. But for now, we're going to roll that pre-recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airways podcast network website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows, available as their own individual programs, get the iTunes store, get Google Play store. Guys, for the podcast shows, cut our network. We have the DC Nation podcast, located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews popular DC Comics-related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvel Podcast located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com. Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com, which reviews Marvel comics related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com. Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheirways.com. In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheirways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, Core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the mixed radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace, and the Windows Marketplace, and a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Guys, for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got across their waves. There's no thought in there, it's just across their waves. Join our circle, got Google Plus, or leave us a voicemail by calling 773 809 3363. Again, that's 773 809 
1-800-273-9336. Call us with sending us an email. Please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. Call the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. Alright, so once again, for another fabulous ATA podcast host, Nikki Amy, Wu Kim, James Heffel, Joshua Mercury, Steve Nostro, got Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmidt, and I'm Nico Reisek. Get a our next episode, we'll cut you out of the airways. See you, everybody. Have a great week.